Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. Um, really quickly, what do we mean when we say the harmony of the Gospels? Who remembers what that means? The harmony of the Gospels. Okay. We're taking the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we are harmonizing them. We're bringing them all together to tell us one chronological story of the life of Christ. All right? So you're getting Matthew's point of view, Mark's point of view, Luke's point of view, and John's point of view. And each one of them have different perspectives. But they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit to relay a message to us so that we could receive him and believe him. So that we could know Jesus. And the more we understand these scriptures, the more we understand our Savior. The closer we grow to him. And that is the very thing that he uses to conform us to his image. So we've been studying the life of Christ. One of our major themes in the life of Christ is the kingdom of God. And what do we say that a kingdom is? A king's what? King's domain. The area where he rules in. And the reality is, is right now, this very second, Jesus is sitting on the throne throne at the right hand of his father. And he is ruling and reigning over all of the earth. Um, Does that mean that... Jesus doesn't have any control of what's going on over there in Israel right now. Nope, he's in complete control. And he's not up in heaven right now pulling his hair, going, oh no, what am I going to do with these people? Because God is in control and everything is playing out the way that he decreed it to play out. God allows wars. God is not the cause of war, but God allows wars. God allows suffering. God allows these things. But the purpose of those things is to uh, prove who are truly his. Because as we go through all of these struggles in life, through death and disease and suffering and sorrow and pain, um, we're going to do one of two things. Either we're going to turn to God and trust him, or we're going to turn to the world and try to find our answers in the world around us. All of us in this room have, in the past, sought the world for the answers that we needed, and the world will do nothing but leave you empty. So we turn away from the kingdom of man, and we turn to the kingdom of God, and it is there that we find peace, we find hope, we find comfort, and that's what we do. So um, let's get back into our lesson. We were in Luke 13. I want to. Um, we just had just a little bit left, and since the class is going to be a bit shorter today, I thought we would just make it a goal to finish up Luke 13. And we will probably, for the future classes for the next little while, if you want to know, we're going to probably stay in the book of Luke and go through some of the parabolic parabolic teachings. Um, Luke uh, 15, we'll see the the story of uh, uh, the prodigal son. That's a very famous story that most of us have probably heard. We'll get into some parabolic teachings. But for today, let's look at Luke chapter 13. I'm going to quickly read for you um, something uh, that we read together last time, and then we'll get into the lesson proper. So Jesus was teaching. This is Luke 13, verses 10. It says, He, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And there was a woman who for 18 years had been sickened. It was caused by a spirit. She was bent over double and she could not straighten up at all. So this woman had a demon, an evil spirit that was causing her to suffer. When Jesus saw her, he called her over to him and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. The Bible says we will know the truth and the truth will set us what free. And this woman has now, the truth has actually found her, right? She heard about Jesus. She heard the words of Jesus. And she said, that sounds like something I need. So she came to that synagogue and she found Jesus. The way that it works is we hear the word, we receive the word, we believe the word, and then we act on the word. That's the way that salvation works. First, we receive him. Then we believe him, 
and then we act on what we believe. All right? So the receiving part of salvation is the regeneration of the heart. And once our heart has been regenerated, then we can believe. So I want you to remember, the way that we receive him is opening our hands in faith. And what are we opening our hands to? We're opening our hands to the Word of God. And this is the way that every salvation truly works. Every salvation works this way. You ready? This is how it works. We open our hands in faith. We receive Him and we believe Him. So what are we opening our hands to? Our hands are open in faith to receive His Word. So the way that every single person in this room, if you truly are saved, it is because you received His Word and through the preaching or the teaching of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, He His voice was presented to you. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. His voice is presented to you. You receive Him you believe him and then you act upon that belief and that's what's going on with this woman she heard about jesus she came to the synagogue and she now receives him and she now believes him he said he he put his hands on her this verse 13 she was made erect immediately she was made erect and she began glorifying god one of the first ways that you know that somebody is truly a child of god is when it becomes more about god than them all right uh, we're going to see in just a few minutes uh, the word hypocrisy means to put on a mask. And there's a lot of people that put on a mask and try to make it about God, try to make other people around them think it's about God, but in reality it's about them, you see. Uh, the prosperity gospel is full of people who it's really about them. It's about God pouring his blessings on me. Fill my bank account. Give me a wife. Give me a car. Heal my foot. Make me be able to see better. Save my kids. Now, all of those are proper requests. Like, it's actually proper to pray those things, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is if I'm praying just to get, then I'm praying for myself. The reason that we receive him is so that we can then share him with others. We receive him in faith, and then those same hands take that faith and go and share it with other people. And a true child of God, someone who has truly received him, now has a heart that is willing to share him with others and to glorify him and give him credit for what has been done. This woman begins to glorify God. But the synagogue officials, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, begin saying to the crowd in front, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. Now think about that. This woman had been carrying around this demonic spirit and had been crippling her and causing her to walk over, hunched over, and miserable. And Jesus has just set her free. And what did the uh, religious crowd say? Hey, man, there's six other days you can heal people. Don't do that on the Sabbath day. Do you think because all the people were there to worship and he, they didn't want them to see Jesus healing on the Sabbath? Well, that, that's when they gathered. Well, that... They gathered there because that was what the Jewish people always did. That was their tradition. On the Sabbath. Yeah. They always gathered there. But the reality is, is one of the things, problem is, number one, he's teaching truth. And number two, he just has expressed a power that none of them had. Moses had never been able to cause a woman to stand upright and walk. And they hadn't in 20 years. Yeah. And Abraham Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob... Uh, we're all believers before Moses ever come around. But these Pharisees, these religious leaders of that day, were completely trusting in Moses, right? 
they were completely trusting in their traditions and their teachings, and they were trusting in Moses. And the reality is Moses can't heal anybody. No, they were trusting in themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. Their self-righteousness expressed through the law of Moses. They thought that Moses' law was the steps that they needed to take to get to heaven, when in reality Moses' law was so a barrier to show them they couldn't problem. get there. You see? So, in uh, verse 15, the Lord answered and said, You hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey uh, from a stall and lead them away to water? So it's the Sabbath day when they get home from synagogue. They go and they take their donkey down to the well and give him some water. Why? Because they get thirst to death if they don't, you see? And so what is he saying? You hypocrites. You sitting here mad at me because I just, well, because God, my father, just healed this woman. And you're mad at me because I did an act of kindness. I showed mercy to someone. And yet, you're going to go home and show mercy to your donkey and your cow and fuss at me about doing something that I'm breaking the Sabbath. All you did was say, woman, you were free. Yep, that's exactly right. right. It wasn't that? no bunch of steps right. to do, was it? He just set her free. And and, and that, that floored them because they don't have that power. When, when the non-believer is, is confronted with the true power of God, they're they, powerless. Well, they're powerless, but it exasperates their unbelief. Have you, any of y'all got friends that don't believe in God, right? They're living in sin. They don't believe in God. The more you try to prove it to them, the more angry they get and the less likely they're going to be. Right. To, right? So what do we do? We share the word with them and let God's word and his spirit do the work. So in verse 16, the woman uh, was a daughter of Abraham, as she was from whom Satan had bound these 18 years. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? What does the, the term Sabbath mean? We've talked about this in the past. It's very important. Sabbath. What does that mean? Rest. Rest. Very good. It's a day of rest. And so this woman has been toiling all of her days, struggling with the physical labor of a body that's crippled. And now she has entered into God's rest. Not only has she physically received rest, but God has saved her and given her a new heart. And now she is resting in Christ. Yeah, she's resting in Christ. So she's been set free. And he said to all of his opponents, they were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things that had been done by him. Right? When you don't stand with God, God will make a fool of you. He will humiliate you when you don't stand with him. And that's exactly what's happening. Well, the problem is, is these are the religious and sociopolitical leaders of that day. This is the town mayor and the city council. Right? And the president of the anchor club. Right, and the uh, the uh, high pontiff of the the, the uh, what is that thing the the Masonic lodge down the hall. You see, these were all of the well-to-dos in the community, yeah. the ones that are the powerful, if you will, and God humiliates them to their face. And well, what's their reaction going to be? They they don't like Jesus at all. So he was saying, now watch what he does here. He's going to use a parable. We've talked about these in the past. Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly, heavenly meaning. meaning. He Jesus actually says this in one of his passages. He says, have I, if I tell you these earthly things and you do not believe, this is John 3. He said, if I tell you these earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he uses very simple kindergarten-like lessons to help us to understand deep kingdom principles. And the truth of the matter is you think that these parables he's giving them out so that people can understand. 
But what he has told us in the past is he uses parables because parables confuse the non-believers. These parabolic teachings that he give actually confuse people that don't believe. But to those who know him, to those who believe, they make perfectly good sense. You see how that works? So he uses these parabolic teachings as a way to separate the sheep and the goats. After he would tell a parable, his disciples would all come to him and say, what did you mean by that? Why? Because with the end, they're stirred. They want to know what the meaning is. Explain that to me, Jesus. The outsider, the unbeliever goes, what is this wackadoo talking about? <laughs> He's on a different... He, what, he don't even make any sense. He's talking about sheep and goats and seeds and soil and prodigal son. What is he talking about? But the reality is, is his sheep hear those stories and they know it applies to them. And they start assimilating it into their life. Hear my voice in a stranger, they will not Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and what shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in the branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven when a woman took and hid three pecks in flour until it was all leaven. So what he's saying is, is the kingdom of God was planted with a small, insignificant seed. But it explodes and blows up the whole world. And so think about that. The Bible actually tells us that through the woman's seed, the serpent's head would be crushed. So, and Abraham was promised that one day his seed, through his seed, all of the world would be blessed. Well, he's actually talking about one seed, not the seeds of Abraham, not the, not the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, but the one seed that comes out of that nation, who was who? Isaac. Jesus. No, Jesus. 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 Oh, Jesus, you see? And so Jesus was planted in that small little speck of dirt over there, and right? And what happened? The kingdom exploded from there. And I any of you in this room that are world. believers today are believers because the apostles went out and did what their master told them to do. They went out and proclaimed and the gospel. think about it, how amazing it is way back yeah. then, how it changed the world. Jesus has been heard all four quarters of the earth. But what it says is, is that these birds uh, roost in the, in the limbs, right? Now, what's a bird? A bird is something that's dependent on God. It's creatures, right? And so think about all of the unbelievers out in the world that are like the birds. They come in and they benefit from the tree. The shade of the tree, the fruit of the tree. See how that works? There's a lot of poor folks out there that get jackets given to them and shoes given to them by people who are truly believers. Why? Because they love Christ and they want people to know the love of Christ. And so they express that by giving them a meal or taking care of them and helping them. And so these birds, right, he's actually talking about these Pharisees who are, they've come and perched themselves up like crows, like roosters in the tree when they're actually not even a part of the kingdom. And so he says that the kingdom is, so what does it mean? It means that the kingdom of God grows in ways that we can't see and understand. And not only that, but some of the things that we think are the most insignificant things are actually the very things that God uses to grow his kingdom. I'll give you an example of that. I think I've told some of you in the past. Uh, um, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, he's the pastor um, down in Norman Park, which is down by Tifton, down in Georgia. And he and I grew up together in, 
and we were best of friends. And me and him and two other boys, we were like uh, all attached to the hip from the time we were 10 till we was 18, getting out of high school. But as teenagers, as young men, his dad was the uh, leader of a group called RAs. RAs is a group in the Baptist churches and it stands for Royal Ambassadors. It's kind of like Christian Boy Scouts. All right, there's RAs for the boys and GAs for the girls. Oh. And so uh, RAs, you'd meet every Wednesday night and you say, as a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, to have a Christ-like concern for all people, uh, to love and cherish other, others, and uh, to keep Christ uh, in my heart. I, that's I'm missing the exact quote because it's been so long since I've said it. Royal ambassador, I'll do my best to become well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, have a Christ-like concern for others, and to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. Okay. That was the, that was the, so every week we all us boys sit around and we had a bunch of rascals. Now, they want none of us keeping our minds clean and healthy. We were teenage boys. But the point I'm making is this. Every week on Wednesday afternoon about four o'clock, Jody, who was my friend, his dad, Mr. Jordan, would get, he had old, about a 68 uh, stepside Chevrolet pickup truck. Okay. And he would go around our neighborhood and he'd pick up all the boys in our neighborhood and carry us all to the church and teach us the Bible. You see? That's not much, but he worked a whole day. He worked for the railroad. Right? That's all he can do. He 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 went and he worked for the railroad every day, twelve hours. And in that long day, he would come and pick all us boys up and take us over. And we cook hot dogs out on a fire, and and then we'd have Bible study. And did you know that five young men out of that group have become pastor? Well, if if I become pastor, that'll make five of us out of that little group of boys that he used to go around and pick up that are now pastors. So through those little insignificant things that nobody thinks about, God was using that man to build his kingdom. You see how it worked? All of these years, I, I love coming here. This is one of my favorite classes in all the world. And this one and the one over at Savannah Bible Mission are two of my favorite classes to teach. And I do know without a doubt that um, I have been so blessed by coming and teaching because that's what God creates us to do is to share his love with other people. And there's no greater way to share his love with other people than to lay your life down for them. And so what do we do? We take time out of our day and we give of ourselves to other people. That's what we're to do. And it's when you're the most blessed. But it's little insignificant stuff. Like most people right now aren't thinking about the fact that there's a little Bible study going on at Calvary Baptist mm-hmm. in this little Sunday school room, are they? Yeah, but you know, you never know when when one word that you say or one event that you are, are with flips a switch in somebody's head. Amen. And and why do we know that? Because the Word of God says this: My word shall not return oh, void. Lord. You share his word and it does what it's supposed to do. Amen? So that's what he's talking about, about this leaven. He's using an instance where a woman goes and drops just a little bit of leaven and a big thing of flour, and next morning she comes back and it's all puffed up and she makes biscuits out of it. You see? It's, it's just a little small things that actually grow the kingdom. All right? So let's look what happens next. So then uh, he was passing through one city to another, proceeding on his way. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few being saved? All right? And we, we've already done all this lesson, so I'm just going over it very quickly. But remember what he said. The ones who are being saved are the ones who find and enter through what? The narrow door. See verse 24? For many, I tell you, will seek to enter... And they will not be able. They can't. To say that I'm not able doesn't mean I don't have permission. It says I'm not capable of going through that door. 
I always use the example of when we were in school as little kids and we'd tell the teacher, can I go to the restroom? And what was your teacher's always her reply? You can, but you may not. Yeah, you can, but you may not. <laughs> like you have the phys- physical ability to relieve yourself and you can do it right there in your desk, <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> but in order to be able to get up and go to the bathroom, you have to have a hall pass. You have to have permission. And so what Jesus is saying here, there's a lot of people trying to get to heaven. And they're not going to be able to get there because they will not be able to go through the narrow door. Why? Because only his sheep fit through that door. And so he's pointing to these men and he's saying the door is too narrow for many to fit through. Now, we've talked about this in the past. What are some of the things that you can have about you that could cause you not to be able to fit through the door? What would be something to prevent you from going to heaven? Sin. Sin. Good. All right. Now, hatred is a sin. All right, so let's talk about that. Why is it that someone who is full of sin cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven? Well, full of sin and having sin can be two different things. Very much so. Because if everyone's going to sin, but are you really trying not to sin because of the Lord? Or are you just... Eh, I'll sin today, maybe not tomorrow. Yes. Now watch. The reality is, is the only ones who fit through the narrow door <coughs> are the ones who have the righteousness of Christ. You have to be as perfect as Christ to enter through the door. Now, none of us in this room are as perfect as Christ, are we? Mm-hmm. But when we receive him, when we believe him, <coughs> not only does he take away our unrighteousness, our sin, how did he do that? Because he's already taken the judgment for it. He not only does he take away our sin, but he credits us with the life that he lived. You see how that works? That's a difficult thing to comprehend. Sure it is. It's called imputed righteousness. There's only one man that ever walked the earth that did everything that was required by the law and required by God to be able to go into heaven. One person that did it perfectly. Who was it? Jesus. And when he was dying on the cross, the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might know the righteousness of Christ. So by him taking away all of my sins, he then not only he doesn't leave me empty, he takes away all of my sin and he shares his righteousness with me. So the only thing that's going to get me into heaven is Christ's righteousness. So, so what would be something that would keep me from being able to go through the narrow door? It would be a person who is self-righteous. A person who is depending on what they do instead of what Christ has done to get them into the kingdom. Somebody who's good. Yeah. These Pharisees were the most religious people. And man, they wore the nicest, like, you know, in modern lingo, they wore three-piece silk suits. Right? They got all the stars from Sunday school. Right? They never missed a, a service. They were on all the boards. They were on. They were on the deacon committees, and any time that there was something going on at the church, they were the first one there washing the windows. And they, they, these All people the were involved, in but they were doing it not as expressions of God's righteousness, they but as expressions of theirs. And what he's telling them is, he said, "There's only a narrow door, and there's a lot of people that's going to try to get in on their own righteousness instead of trusting in Christ's righteousness alone." That sounds like the televangelists that are running and running rapid today. Yeah. Well, what did he say? He said, a rich man will not be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? Because he's holding on to all his goods. Mm-hmm. His, his, his 
God is not God, his creator. His God is the God of his creation. It's what I mean. What he's depending on to give him his peace and happiness in life. And what are these rich televangelists depending on? Send me more. I need another jet. Yeah. You see? Money. All right. So let's let's continue on. We got about 20 minutes left. We want to knock this down. Um, strive to enter through the narrow door. And verse 25, once the head of the house gets in and shuts the door, and you begin to stand up and, and outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He's going to answer and say, I don't know you. I don't know where you're mm. from. And the point of that is, is that he's making it as to so that the ones who are in the house are family. And the one who is on the outside knocking on the door is what? A stranger. A stranger. Somebody they don't know. It's too late at night. We ain't opening the door. You might <laughs> want to come in and hurt us. You see? So what? It, when we think of that door shutting and the family being in the house, what do we think of? Security. Yeah, safe. We're safe, right? And we can think of Noah's Ark. What happened when God sealed them inside that ark? No, I couldn't get Everybody it. on the outside died. Everybody on the outside was judged by God. And I guarantee you there was fingernail marks on the sides of that ark of people trying to get in there, but they couldn't get in. They wanted to get in the ark, but they had missed their opportunity. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me. I don't know who you are, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers. Now, he's calling these men who are the most religious people in their town wicked evildoers. You could see where this would stir him up. So in 28, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. See, they were Abraham's kids. We're Abraham's kids. We follow Moses. We're children of the promise like Isaac. And the only thing that they had in common with Abraham and Isaac was their genetic makeup. They were physically of his seed. But what does Paul tell us? Uh, it is not those who are outwardly Jews that are true Jews. It's those who are Jews inwardly. It's not a circumcision of the flesh that makes you a Jew. It's a circumcision of the heart. All right? So what does the circumcision of heart represent? It represents God reaching in and ripping that old heart out of you and giving you a heart of flesh. Taking that sinful heart away and giving you a new heart. So... Again, think about that. These Jewish people thought they were going to heaven just because they were Jewish. And what's he saying? Hey, guys, I got news for you. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets, the ones that you stoned and killed, are going to be in there enjoying the banquet. And you're going to be on the outside with your teeth grinding and your fist balled up in the outer darkness. There will be no light there. So he's warning them of the judgment to come. Verse 29, they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table at the kingdom of God. So who's going to be at the table at the kingdom of God? Both Jews and those who come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Who is that? Christians. The Gentiles. Gentiles. People that are not of Abraham's physical seed. So see, the way that the gospel worked was Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. Who did he go to first? The nation of Israel. And once they rejected their Messiah, he was the Messiah. Once they rejected him, he then turned the gospel message to the world around. Now, the Bible actually teaches us that in the latter days, which one could argue that we're in the latter days, that many of Abraham's physical kids are going to turn around and go, wait a minute, that's our Messiah. You can't have it. And they're going to be provoked to jealousy. They're going to be provoked into believing and trusting in the Messiah. So them, through them seeing the Gentile nations come to the temple, 
They're going to be like, wait a minute, that's our God. You can't have it. And they're going to come back and come back into the fold. You see how that works? That's been God's plan all along. And so what does he say? He said, they will come from the east to west and north and south from all around the globe. And they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some who are first will be last. Remember how he said the kingdom of God works in concepts and principles that we don't understand. And so there's a lot of people that think, well, maybe Billy Graham is going to be the most rewarded guy in all of heaven, right? Maybe. Well, maybe Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher is going to be the one most rewarded in heaven. Because she's the one that led him to the Lord. You see, you see how that works? Well, do you see a, str- a, a strata of, of, um, of accomplishments in heaven? Or, or is it just... Well, remember, what he says is the only way that we would be able to do the works that we do is if the Holy Spirit is working through us. Like, it's really God working through us. Mm-hmm. So for me to take a bunch of credit for the things that I do is actually the wrong thing to do. The point he's making here is is that some of the most some of the things that people think are the most insignificant are actually the things that make the most impact in the kingdom. And some of the things that people think are the most important are actually the least valuable at all. I know Pastor Terry and Bob are gonna be up there. I just sure they are just they're they're too anointed not sure. And, and uh, so we have to understand that he's continuing to tell us, show us how the kingdom works. There will be many people on the outside that thought that they were inside. Let me say something here real quick. Yeah. Obviously something's happening with Jim, with Lori. I think we should all be aware of that. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and wind it on down here. No, it's not that. I mean, it's just we need to be you know, prayerful about it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So. Behold, some who are last will be first, some who are first will be last. Just at, at that time, the Pharisees approached and said, Go away from here, Herod wants to kill you. So they're warning Jesus. They're saying, Get away from here, Herod wants to kill you. Now the reality is, it's not only Herod that wants to kill them. They do. They do. Right, get, a, get away from us before we do something to you. Because they're the ones that's going to conspire with Herod. Matter of fact, Herod's going to be like, I can't, uh, I don't find any fault in this guy. And they're going to be like, Crucify him. We want him dead. So, the question. I thought, I remember legally decayed, um, they cannot order man to death. They could legally, the they, legally the Jews could not crucify somebody. It took the authority and the proclamation. Well, how did they stone them? Huh? How did they stone them? Well, um, there's not much of that going on here either, because remember with the parable. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but they were doing that on the slide because. Um, Remember the story with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were going to stone her. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if they would have stoned her, the temple guards who were Roman police would have come down and said, who told y'all to do this? And they would all point it at Jesus. And they would have arrested Jesus for um, initiating a, a capital punishment. Right? And so Rome was actually keeping them from being able to do a lot of the things that the law of Moses called them to do. And, uh, and so... We need to understand what's going on here. Uh, they say, get away from here. Go And watch what he said in verse 32. Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons. I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Now, what is his goal? Cross. Cross. That's exactly right. He knows that Herod's not going to kill him. Why? Because he already had he already has a death appointed to him, and he knows it's not going to be if that's not the time. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem, right? So, what is he saying there? 
It's the city of Jerusalem that's constantly killing the prophets. Like the prophets come to the people of Israel and say, this is God's word. And what do the people always do? Kill them. They don't want to hear that. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. So nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, we finish up these two verses and then we'll be done. Watch what he says here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers its brood under her wings and you would not have it. Behold, your house has left you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's break this down. There are a lot of people that use this passage to say that man has the ability to reject God's drawing. In other words, God is drawing someone to himself, and they have the power and the ability to say, Get away from me, depart from me. But that's not, they, and they'll use that. Look what it says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, the, the city that kills prophets. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen, but you would not have it. So what he's saying is, is that he spreads his wings and he wants to bring in all the children of Israel under his protection. But there's some in that city that are saying, we will not have that, right? But it's not saying that they're, he's rejected, that, that he's drawing them to him for salvation what he's saying is, my desire is to bring your children to me, and you would not have it. You see what it's saying? These religious leaders are actually resisting him by trying to keep their kids, the children of Israel, away from him. He's come with the proclamation of the gospel. He's come with the proclamation of the kingdom. He's come with salvation in his arms and what are these religious leaders doing? They don't want no part of it. They don't want no part of it, and they also are keeping their kids, their children, from coming and taking part as well. How often I wanted to gather you together, just as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not have it. Now look what he says next. This is very important. Verse thirty-five. Behold, your house is left to you. The house of who? Israel is left desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." When is it going to be that all of the people will scream and say, "Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord"? Yeah, when he returns on Judgment Day. Yeah. So what he's saying is, because you religious leaders have rejected me, your house is now left to you desolate. You have an empty house. Did you know that if you were to go to now, uh, there's a lot of debate on what's going on over there. It's a terrible thing. No matter what anybody believes, it's horrible what's happening over there. But did you know that the very Jews that we are commanded to protect, and, and, and not only that, but our country protects them, did you know that if you were to go over there and present them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they, kill you. they would want you dead? Mm-hmm. They don't want They're anything to do with Christians. you. They are. They, that nation right now is still in utter rebellion to the mm-hmm. will of God. They are. Wow. Yep. You see? Well, that's because they believe that because. They are Jews. They, and they've been taught they that by their leaders, which is Because horrible. they were born Jews, they are born righteous. The ze- very same zealous attitude that these people who rejected Christ had is this mm-hmm. very same it attitude is. that they it still have right today. And you remember what he said, what they said when they were about to crucify him. 
Let his blood be on our hands and on the hands of our children. Right? I find nothing wrong with this man. There's no reason to crucify him. And they said, crucify him. Let his blood be on our hands and the hands of our kids. And did you know from that time forward, the Jewish people... The curse was set. Did you know that those people have suffered horribly? Mm Mm-hmm. For their rejection of their Messiah. Of now there have all listen, God, there's always been a remnant within the nation of Israel, true physical Jews who have turned to Messiah and been mm-hmm. saved by Jesus Christ. Jews. And there are people this very day, physical Jewish people who are coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Why? Because that's been the plan all along. The plan all along is for him to reach out to his people. His people reject him. He turns to the nations. The nations receive him, and then his people, national Israel, said, wait a minute, that's our Messiah, and they come back into the fold as well. And then just as Jesus said, the two, um, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. The two must come together, and we will be one shepherd with one flock. So what's happening? In the end of time, all of his sheep from both the Jewish and Gentile nations are going to come together to be one flock. And that's what's happening before our very eyes right now. I grew up on Brandywine, which is... A few blocks that way. I know where it is. And I grew up on Brandywine, and every house around me, on each side across mm-hmm. the street, you know, were Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And they were wonderful people. Yep. They were very nice people. And, you know, so, but I do understand also that, no, they were Jews. You know, they were wonderful, kind people. And, 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 and so it was like, I see so much similarity between Christianity and, and, Judaism. and Judaism. I mean, back in, what is it, Ludic, uh, Leviticus, it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. I mean, that whole concept was not new with Jesus. It had been taught by them all along, but they can't get past that I'm righteous because I'm a Jew. Right. Yeah, from what I've seen. Right. And so the reality is, is the comparison between us for Christians and Jews is, is that we both have, we both believe the Old Testament is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But they stop at the Old Covenant and they don't receive the New Covenant that was cut so in Christ's blood. I'll get quite angry if you even bring it up. Sure. So we need to understand that what we're reading here, these stories that we're going through with the life of Jesus is like he's dealing with his the, the nation of Israel. And today... Not only is the nation of Israel in rebellion towards Jesus and towards the plan of God and the kingdom of God, but the Gentiles are as well. And so the the true people of God, the true ones that are truly been delivered out of Egypt, the true ones who are really roaming in the wilderness right now, and the true children that are really going to the promised land is a group of people that is both Jews and Gentiles that have been saved by Christ. And it is our responsibility, it is the command of God for us to go out and proclaim the kingdom so that those who are still lost can come in. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter who they are. But building a giant nation over there and that little speck of dirt over there in the middle of Israel is not going to save anybody. Right. But Rebuilding that, a temple and reinstituting and a, a, a mosaic cult mm-hmm. when i say cult the word cult means worship so when i say judy mosaic cult what i'm saying is to go back to the old testament right. and start the whole sacrificial system over in a temple over there, that's not going to save anybody no. either no what's going to save land given us, to the jews by god yes but what's going to save us 
as his children and what's going to save those that are still lost that are his children is the proclamation of God. The proclamation of the gospel. They're not planning on starting a sacrificial. They're not. They, you better believe it. You, you better believe they'd love to get that land back and they'd love oh, to rebuild wow. that temple on top and start. Well, that with, would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I'll let you answer that on your own. But yes, yeah, you have, people need to think about that. So the reality is, is that God does not bless a people who are in rebellion to Him. And for us to think we could pour billions and billions of dollars into rebuilding that nation over there. If they're still in rebellion to their Messiah, God's not going to bless it no matter how much money you pour into it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that's not the kingdom that we as his children have been called to build. Matter of fact, we can't build anything. We are called to proclaim the kingdom. Go. Yeah, I do. So let's go ahead and open, uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us together. Thank you for this chance to study your word, to study your truth. Um, we do want to lift up Lord's husband to you right now and be with the doctors and be with those who are taking care of him, giving them the wisdom and the knowledge to do what it takes to get him better. Please heal his body if it be your will. Um, go with us now as your children and help us to share your love with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.